You're listening to an episode of Law Review Squared, the Law Review Review. It is 8 p.m. on Friday, February 12th, 2021. I'm joined today by our panel, Seth and Joanne, who I'll ask to answer the question, we have a three-day weekend. Are you doing anything special? Let's start with Joanne. I am going to a friend's house to watch 10 Things I Hate About You. Okay. And Seth? I'm going to be doing some outlining, I think. You're kind of boring. <laughs> um, That's law school, man. I will be running a virtual 5K tomorrow morning, and then I think we're going ice skating this weekend. How does that work? Uh so we got a treadmill on uh, January 1st, and I've been using that uh, every, pretty much every day, and it's hooked up to the internet. So like everybody who has an account with the treadmill company um, ha- was invited to do a 5K run um, at the same time, and there's leaderboards and stuff. It's kind of cool. It's interesting. While supplies last, you can still get a free Law Review Squared sticker by sending your mailing address to lexclava at gmail.com. That's L-E-X-C-L-A-V-A at gmail.com. We'll ship anywhere, even if you're overseas. Reminder that the opinions here are those of the panelists and do not represent the view of Penn State Dickinson Law, the panelists' present, former, or future employers, or any other entity. Contents of this recording do not constitute legal advice. The article we're discussing today was by Elizabeth Chung, titled Gotta Catch Em All, The Rise of Esports and the Evolution of Its Regulations, which, despite the title, did not discuss Pokemon at all. Rather, it described video game streaming in the esports industry, as well as some regulatory challenges the field faces. Let's dive right in. So, first question to either of you, have you watched esports, and do you think that the players are athletes? Whether or not they are, does it make sense to regulate the players as athletes? Start with Seth. So I have not watched esports. No, I'm not much of a gamer at all. But I, I found this article pretty interesting. Um, currently, I, I kind of err on the side of regulating esports players as athletes. Uh, the author she talks about uh, distinguishing the physical aspect of classic sports to sort of the mental aspect uh, of esports. But I'm I'm not so sure that that's really the best way to to look at the issue. Physical sports have a they have like a significant mental component to them as well. And I don't think you can really overlook that. Instead, I I think the best way is to divide these two types of, uh, I guess, competitors by sort of looking at how society views competition in general. So you sometimes have these, you have these highly paid performers competing against other highly paid performers and the most skilled one wins. And for whatever reason, society, we've kind of developed a, a general dislike for competitors who gain a, a quote unquote, I guess, an unfair advantage. And we tend to value like the natural development of skills as opposed to the artificial development of them, or at least historically we have. And so to promote fair competition, it's probably best to regulate esports competitors as athletes. Now, the business model and the economic effects of esports and traditional sports is also generally the same. And so they both share that same general social purpose. And, and you know, they're not really so different once you look at them beyond that physical versus mental or virtual or whatever you want to call it component. It's it kind of boils down to just strictly competition. So maybe instead of calling them athletes, if you want to get nitpicky, call them like athletes or something like that. But for the most part, you know, the substance I think is, is generally the same. Joanne? Uh, so I do watch some, I mean, if Minecraft counts, which I'm pretty sure it does. Um, and I definitely would classify it as like 
them being athletes, just because it does take a lot of mental capacity. People still uh, train for hours upon hours. And, you know, that takes a mental toll on people just like regular sports do. And I agree that like they're that physical aspect of it shouldn't be brought into whether or not it's a sport. Um, I really like that e-fleet though. <laughs> um, so that could lead us into our next question. Should esports athletes be tested for performance enhancing drugs and should they be subject to criminal penalties even if the substances are legal? I will note that in chess, uh, the chess, the International Chess Federation at the highest levels, they do test for performance enhancing drugs. I don't know the specifics of what the um, ones that they're using are, but that's another competition where it's mental capacity and maybe stamina that matters rather than strength um, or agility. Joanne? Yeah, so um, the article did talk about Adderall, which is a medication that helps you focus. Um, and I do think whether or not it's legal shouldn't affect whether or not you're tested for it or like held accountable because you can use too much to give yourself an unfair advantage. And of course, if you use it when you don't have a prescription, you don't have a real reason to be using it other than to get advantages, then I feel like you should be held accountable for that and probably like disqualified or whatever. Um, but I think there should definitely be testing just because there is that mental strength that it takes to be an athlete, electro, e athlete, athlete. Um, so I think people should definitely be tested for that, especially at the higher levels, because, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of money on the line because that's what the competitions are, like leaderboards that are meant to be broken. And how disappointing would it feel to <laughs> know that you didn't actually, you didn't place on the leaderboard because somebody who did place on the leaderboard was using drugs. Seth, should athletes be tested for performance-enhancing drugs? Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Um, and if you know if they test positive, they could be barred from competition or something like that. I guess in regards to like league-specific rules, and it all comes back to what I talked about earlier with um, you know society's general desire for natural and fair competition. And and to what Joanne said, I mean, it's in, in to promote fairness. You should probably test um, because, again, money is on the line and um, endorsement deals and all kinds of stuff. So it's not so different from uh, traditional sports. So I, I think that this does get into a question of why do we play sports or why do we compete in sports also? Because if the object is to figure out what the limits of human potential performance is, um, then you almost want the athletes to be on performance enhancing drugs so that they are the strongest, fastest, smartest, you know, whatever's relevant to their, their sport. And as you noted, we, we have consistently considered that to be cheating. So the object of sport is not to necessarily break records. It has something to do with, um, as a spectator, evaluating the performance that's in front of you. And I, I don't know... 
where the performative aspects of sport outweigh the performance aspects of sport. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, the skeptic in me also thinks there has a little bit to do with kind of um, diluting almost like the courts do, right? It's like an adversarial system to prevent street justice or whatever. And, and I think sports in a way kind of promote, you know, you, you pick your team and then you go to the game and they duke it out and then you leave and you're happy. And, and it's sort of like an entertainment thing. It kind of soothes people. And, and um, but yeah, there's certainly, I, I do think there is a bit of, uh, you know, the reaching the limits of, of human capacity as well. But yeah, like you said, I'm, I, I don't know that that's the number one thing. I think it all ultimately, at least today, comes down to entertainment and uh, business. So the author uh, spends much of the article discussing esports or organized leagues and tournaments. But she actually starts out discussing YouTube and Twitch, mentioning streamers and speedrunners. And for the audience who doesn't know, speedrunners are people who are trying to complete games or portions of games, levels in games as fast as possible, um, faster than other people trying to do it at the same time, maybe. Should this type of content be considered the same as organized league and tournament play, or is it more properly a new media form of entertainment so similar to TikTok? Let's go to Joanne. I don't think it's just another media form like TikTok, just because um, Twitch streamers... They make a lot of money. So if you were to watch a Twitch stream, even as they're playing their games or whatever, they're constantly going, oh, thank you for the dono. Thank you for the subscription. And if you don't know, um, on Twitch, you have to pay for a subscription. So you donate money, but you also give money if you're subscribed. That's $6 right there. And it's only for one month. So every single month you put another $6 into this person. So you have to want to watch them. They're not just another entertainer on the media. They're being paid for what they do. It's a job, uh, basically. Uh, You don't just get to, you can watch for free, yeah. But there's perks to um, paying for it. So I don't think it's just another mainstream media like TikTok is, which is just purely free for anyone to go on and you don't have to pay for anything extra or whatever. There's no deals for you to make. Just watch and like and scroll. Seth? Uh, so after that, I'm, after what Joanne said, I'm realizing that uh, maybe I don't really... So I'm, again, I'm not familiar with Twitch. I know it exists. I don't, I've never been on it. So I, I assumed it was like a a genuine like sporting league kind of thing going on. And I didn't realize it was sort of like independent people being paid to play games, uh, which is interesting. Um, but I guess to answer the question, no, I don't think it's like TikTok either. Um, there is a sort of competitive aspect to it that assuming that these people are competing in, in tournaments and not just... Uh, you know, performing for an audience. Uh, but, you know, even the NFL and other traditional sport leagues are, are trying to figure out how to bring the physical game into the social media sphere. And, and it seems like Twitch has done that pretty well. They've kind of figured out that n- niche in the middle of those two 
spheres. I, I do think that, so the author did talk about um, P1 visas being available for these athletes who are perf- competing in leagues. I don't think a Twitch streamer would be eligible for that type of visa. So at least in that context, there would be a distinction. But I almost think that like the big Twitch streamers or YouTube streamers are probably making a lot more money than the kids who are playing in the esports leagues. Um, the numbers that she had in the article with Ninja or uh, PewDP. Um, Joanne, you can jump in with the guy's name. I, I'm. Wait, PewDiePie. Yeah, uh, was the other one that was um, mentioned by the article. Uh, those folks are making millions of dollars, and I, I think even the top esports guys are maybe in the single-digit millions instead of the you know multi-digits. Um, so that's kind of interesting to me that um, it would be as if the professional wrestlers were out earning football players. And I don't think they do on that side. Makes you wonder what you're doing in law school. You just pick up the PlayStation and go to town, you know? So I did run a Twitch stream for a little bit. Um, and I was playing uh, Dovetail Games uh, fishing game. I think I had a maximum of two uh, viewers at any given time. But uh, that's <laughs> not enough to support uh, anything. <laughs> well, you get the right donors. I mean, you know, drop a hundred grand in there. Hey, you could support off that. Fishing Sim World, I think, is what it was called. <laughs> and now we'll wait for my daughter to stop laughing at me. So, so while she's laughing, what's what's the draw to simulated fish as opposed to real fishing? Cause that's kind of where I'm still, I guess maybe like I missed that train that like esports train by a couple of years. And I, I don't really get the draw to it, but um, I don't know. What do you think? Um, they're not exactly comparable. Um, right. I like actual fishing. Um, also, if in video game fishing, you normally have a much higher catch per unit effort. Um, so, I mean, that's a fisheries term for how many fish are caught over a period of time and how much effort is being put towards um, t- towards catching those fish. So uh, in that fishing game, I could catch, you know, 30 or 35 carp in an hour. In real life, you're going to catch one to two fish an hour um, over a long-term average if you're good uh the other advantage is that like you can play video game fishing anytime um there's no seasons there's no um length limits there's no um you know it doesn't take two hours to drive out to the lake and you know you don't lose an hour watching your boat and recovering it um so you can do it over a much shorter period of time so i think i mean there is certainly a niche to play or a reason why you know somebody who likes fishing would play uh, a video game fishing, but it's not a simulation in the same sense as say a flight simulation. It attempts to actually model you know what a pilot's doing when they're flying an airplane. There's actually a lot of um, work in developing video games that goes into it as to what makes it fun, what keeps uh, players or viewers engaged in, in what they're doing. Um, it's a it's a much more mature industry than I think it 
it's sometimes or scientific industry than I think it's sometimes um, perceived as. It, it, they really put work in to make sure you're addicted to it and make sure you want to buy different versions of something or want to keep playing so that their sales keep going up. Make it more popular so more people buy it. Philip Morris is going to get in the game next, I guess, huh? Uh, you'd be surprised, actually. So if you're talking, especially when you're talking about um, mobile games, there's a lot of overlap between uh, the developers of mobile games and the developers of slot machines for casinos. Uh, there's really? a lot of movement back and forth of personnel between the uh, be- between the the companies there. A lot of the same research is, it goes into there. There's a lot of um, intentional. Uh, what, what you call uh, uh, variable rate rewards, um, you know, based on work that Skinner had done with with rats and 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 stuff, um, and what they call the massive multiplayer games do similar things to try and keep keep players engaged. You have variable rewards that drop at random times. Um, you have games that are generate this uh, what they call fear of missing out. So in order to cause you to stay logged into the game and playing the game, um, similar to the way that, um, similar to what we're seeing with some of the novice investors in the cryptocurrency markets and in the um, stock market, we recently saw uh, GameStop run up by what was essentially a, a, a horde of unsophisticated retail investors that had been organized by Reddit. And these people felt like they, you know, if they didn't jump in and buy, they would miss out on these wonderful returns. Um, They would miss out on their chance to be part of something big. Um, And that led to people spending money unwisely or investing money unwisely. And there's a lot that went into that, that, that short squeeze that occurred and that's probably worth having a separate episode on when somebody writes a law review article about it but um that those types of um, sentiments and feelings are engineered they're not natural interesting okay so where are we (laughs) the author raised a question about ownership of copyright in a gaming stream so these are performances, uh, whether we're talking about a organized uh, league activity or we're talking about something on a stream. Who should own the copyright in that performance, the game developer or the performer, the streamer who is playing the game and causing you know, the actor on the screen to actually be doing things? Let's go to Seth. It's probably just like showing any other copyrighted video in another video. You would have to have it licensed. I think the author mentions music, music licenses and movies and things like that. So it probably falls right under those same rules. But I mean, this is kind of one of those instances where the law doesn't necessarily mesh all that well with reality. What I mean by that is, you know, if you're a game developer and you own the copyright to the game and somebody is streaming your game and essentially giving you free advertising, you would probably be a fool to try to file a claim against for, for uh, you know copyright infringement. So, in this regard, I guess copyright protection only really exists as a fallback protection for when things go wrong, as or when somebody crosses a line. But um, that being said, I guess 
most law can be like that. So I don't know. Joanne? I honestly don't have too much more to say because Seth really basically summed it up. If the game designer or whatever has a copyright on this game and then a streamer or something is playing it, that's just like Seth said, that's free advertisement. So as long as they're given credit for their game design, like, oh, I'm playing this game. Make sure you don't say, oh, I made this game and then I'm playing it. So, but I don't think many people do that. So, Well, the author talks about uh, potentially stealing revenue in a way from the game companies by like showing the end of the game and things like that. Do you, do you buy that argument? I personally do not. Um, I think that there was a lot of discussion over the last few years about uh, what role streamers play in um, the gaming industry. Um, here, I mean the video gaming industry, not the casino gaming industry. The uh, I think what we're seeing is that most companies are recognizing the value of streamers as uh, publicity. And um, I think we're also seeing a lot more design of games to... Uh, they're planned with streamers in mind. We're seeing um, interfaces built into the game with for Twitch, for example. Um, so you don't even have to drop out and you know be running a, a separate rig to capture uh, the video stream. The game will handle that for you if they want. If you want to do that, um, we are also, I think. Um, we're seeing a lot of uh, game companies that they used to go to like magazines and send out previews and things like that, or reviewers send out review copies so that reviewers could could, could play. And now, our last two years or so, a lot of those companies are backing off from the reviews, they're backing off from the magazines, but what they're doing is they're gonna, um, you know, they'll pay a streamer fifty thousand a hundred thousand dollars to stream the game the day before it's supposed to be released it's going to be released um and that's their publicity so um some of these uh potential problems are going away uh just because the industry kind of absorbed the concept of streaming and moved on we are however seeing um a not problem, but a disconnect with the soundtracks that are in games, because of course people who produce music have their copyright in that music, and they license that music to games, you know, to be the soundtrack for a game. Uh, but then they will send DCMA notices to YouTube or Twitch when that music is being played in a stream of the game. So the streamer is streaming the game. He has permission, or at least um, notional permission an implied permission to stream the game, but that permission doesn't necessarily extend to the music that is incorporated into the game. Um, and that causes problems kind of all the way around. Nobody really likes the situation. Um, I don't believe any of it's gone to court yet, or if it has, it's only it would only be the lower courts. So there, there's no um, appeals court decisions or anything like that on point yet there will be eventually um and probably what will happen is the musical licensing will be expanded to kind of understand this usage and understand this type of broadcast joanne you got anything 
I was just talking about like DMCA. I know a lot of times when I'm watching a stream or something, a lot of streamers upload VODs or whatever. And so when they're streaming, they play music in the background or something. Um, and, you know, a lot of times it's hard to find some some cool upbeat songs that are not copyrighted that you can play freely. But streamers play um, music that's going to be caught by the DMCA anyways. So then they can't post it on YouTube or something. Or I know on Twitch, uh, after a streamer quits streaming, they will block out songs or whatever. They'll say part of this broadcast was copyrighted and then they won't play it for you if you're like re-watching something. And I think it's worth noting that this is all happening by automated systems that, I mean, there are methods for the streamer to appeal. There's methods for the music artist to appeal. But for the most part, this is all this is a regulatory activity, which is all being handled by AIs um, kind of in the background to everything else. It's interesting. I mean, I remember like upwards of 10 years ago, the music industry was talking a lot about you know, video games were supposed to be like the new uh, frontier. It was, you know, Napster kind of destroyed the the revenue model for the industry, and so they they were looking to to video games. Um, and at that point, or at that time, it was still kind of new. I don't even think streaming was really around then, like music streaming, Spotify, and stuff. Um, so it's interesting to see that play out. I, I haven't I haven't read into any of this stuff in the past quite a few years. So another new aspect to some of this, the uh, article had mentioned in-game money and channel points that a user or watcher could earn. Should these types of currency count as real money uh, being gambled, or is it just another fun thing for fans to win something to show the support for their streamers? Let's go to Joanne. Um, so personally, I do watch a lot of Twitch streamers or whatever. So in Twitch, when you watch... Um, a streamer, um, you rack up channel points for each streamer that you watch and you can gain more by say watching every single one of their streams, like as they happen, like you go on a watch streak and you get more points. Um, and so with those points, there are things that the streamer can do, like host predictions and so a watcher puts up some of their channel points in the pot um and at the end of the prediction they give the answer whatever and whoever whatever side won those points that people put up to play are then dispersed among all the people that voted for that side um so i think it's pure gambling but but it is a just a fun thing for viewers to do because it doesn't harm us it doesn't harm anyone channel points in twitch's case are things that you can get for free and they don't really do much i mean who cares if you put a few channel points into a prediction then if you get more back you get more back 
cool, whatever. And if you lose them, then you lose them. You're gonna get them back if you continue to watch that person. And if you don't continue to watch that person, there's no point for you to have those channel points anyways. Do those convert to real currency at all? Can you can you transfer those out to your bank account? Nope. That's not... Oh, okay. the, yeah, channel points. Um, so bits in Twitch are like you purchase with real money, but channel points, they you just earn them. So this is something that we saw develop over the last... 10 years uh i don't know how far back it necessarily goes a lot of games and gaming systems will use what they call an attention currency and a and a real money currency the real money currency is fungible against uh some type of national currency us dollars or euros or something like that and the attention currency is something that you give to the users at irregular intervals usually the uh, real money currency is worth a lot more within the platform. Um, so in order to incentivize people to want to use that real currency and the attention currency is there to kind of incentivize people to stay engaged with the platform. It's kind of a drip. Um, a lot of times when you're talking about digital currency system, um, systems within video games, not, not, not meaning cryptocurrency, uh, you find that <coughs> a very large percentage of the money flow is coming from what they call whales, just like gamblers call people who come in with a lot of money a whale. Um, and then most of the rest, and in some games it may be in excess of 90%, are not spending any money at all. But in order to keep the whales happy, those people have to be present. They have to feel like they're part of a community and and so on so you need to have these people who are not contributing real money and, and you use this other currency to to kind of keep them engaged to getting i i don't want to sound cynical um and i don't want to suggest that it's necessarily wrong because it is a model that seems to work to some level yeah it's interesting I mean, business is business you know but yeah that, uh this discussion kind of opened my eyes to the video game industry i didn't know anything about it before tonight so um fascinating industry i'm gonna have to delve more into it it's very fun to watch like uh twitch streamers i think and even if you miss something up for a certain amount of time you can still go back and watch it and i think that's really fun Along those lines, um, so esports and streams, they're happening in broad daylight. Anybody can find them. They're not trying to be hidden. But the author does suggest a possible concern about money laundering through video games uh, via their virtual currencies. Do you stream or esport viewers consider where their money goes, do you think? Or is this something that's not really unique to video games? We can go to Joanne. I do think we consider where the money goes because... As someone who would totally donate to my streamers if I was old enough, if I had money that wasn't my parents' money, um, as most of the people who are my age, if they are donating, they're using their parents' money. Um, I think we think about where it goes. We want to support our streamer or whatever. And I think part of that when people donate they also a lot of times they get their names shouted out like ayo whoever thank you for this dono or whatever and that's like really invigorating because we know we're thinking 
all right, it goes to this person. And I know that who I watch, they discuss how much they get and how much Twitch gets. And, um, you know, because Twitch has to make money somehow. So part of the revenue goes to Twitch and part of it goes to the streamer. And the people I watch are very open about that. Um, So I think we are pretty aware of where our money is going. And our last question is, it is off topic, but the title of the article invokes Pokemon by saying, gotta catch them all. And isn't Pokemon really a form of animal fighting? The trainers throw the Pokemons into a ring and then they fight each other. If somebody made a more explicit virtual dog fighting game, say Michael Vick's Pro Dog Pit, should that be made on made illegal under some type of regulatory structure, or should the market be allowed to regulate it itself? We'll go to Seth. No, you leave that to the market regulation. I think um, you know it, it would be analogous to say. Uh, the Grand Theft Auto, you know, you'd have to get rid of that because they're stealing cars and that's illegal. So uh, I I think people are pretty good about separating, you know, reality from fantasy. And, um, you know, I guess if you want to play a dog fighting game, you should probably be allowed to technically, as long as it's not real. And um, if people don't like it, then let the market regulate it out. I completely agree with that um, because... You know, I was thinking about this a while back. Um, GTA is kind of where people that would be criminals possibly can just let it out in the game. You know what? Rather it be in a... I would rather see people doing that in a game than doing it in real life. So, hey, if you're a bad person, at least do it in a video game and not in real life. And I'm just thinking about, like, Modern Warfare or like any of those Call of Duty games or whatever, you're killing people. You're killing other people. So I I know there was some discussion in Congress recently um, about trying to get the United States military to not um, advertise in these online games like Modern Warfare because it was essentially advertising I don't know, to kids or something. I mean, that's kind of the way it goes. So, but it was an interesting debate. Um, I don't think it would have gone anywhere politically. It didn't, of course, but it's interesting that we're starting to think about those things uh, at the top levels of government. That's interesting that Congress would have wanted to stop that. The Army has uh, published America's Army since 2003, which is a first-person shooter game that kind of puts the player in the role of an American soldier. It's a multiplayer game. Both sides think they're playing American soldiers, and they see the other side as terrorists. Um, It's kind of uh, a technological and, you know, uh, recruiting process uh, thing. Are they doing any, I mean, you're a military guy, right? Are they doing any um, kind of like virtual reality training at all in the military yet? Other than like flight simulators and stuff like that? Uh, well, I mean, certainly the military has used flight simulators since forever. Um, and they are pretty, supposed to be pretty realistic. I was in the infantry. Um, we, at, I got out in 2006. Um I would say that high, most high-tech stuff, 
that we had for training was more like laser tag, where you were shooting blanks, but there was a laser attachment on, on your rifle that shot a laser. And like if you were hit, a buzzer would go off and you'd, you know, you would actually open up a, a physical card that would tell you how you were wounded so that, you know, people could practice first aid and all that, that kind of thing. Uh, I don't remember what that system was called. I have seen in um, uh, Army Magazine uh, that I, I do get, um, they are working on different types of digital training technologies. Um, some of that involves VR, some of that involves you know networking lots of soldiers or, or vehicles together. Um, obviously, any time that you can train people and not have to worry about breaking things or breaking people, uh, that's a good thing. So um, certainly I, I would expect them to be working on it. I don't think, however, that sitting at your, your computer with a mouse, um, it doesn't build the same type of muscle memory as running around in the woods with a rifle does. And with that, we're about out of time. Thanks again to our panel, Seth and Joanne. Reminder, you can find a link to the article discussed by going to lawreviewsquared.com and looking at the episode notes. Let us know what topics you'd like us to consider by Twittering suggestions to at Squared Law. Please like, follow, subscribe, or give us a rating wherever you found this podcast. If you're a law student at any school and would like to be on a panel, feel free to get in touch. Audio post processing by Mohammed Salim. Podcast adjourned.